Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right. Good morning, everyone. And we are live. Welcome to another edition of the Serious Report with London Paul. This is CJ. I want to welcome everyone to the show. Very excited to be uh, hosting today as V is on vacation, a, a well-deserved vacation. Uh, so uh, good morning, Paul. How are you, sir? Yeah, good morning, CJ. I'm very well. And yourself? I'm doing I'm doing great, Paul. You know, it's kind of, you know, kind of different, you know, this morning without without V joining you know, when you're used to every morning starting your day out with a, a you know, morning conversation, and everything. But but I think I'll be OK, Paul. Good. Well, hopefully I can uh, not exactly fill the void with V, but yeah, but uh, I'm it's a pleasure to do the morning show instead of yesterday afternoon, obviously. Well, I won't ask you to do any time of imitation, anything like that of V. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so our listeners are very familiar with your work. Again, you can follow his work at theseriousreport.com. Has links to all of his great content there, his Twitter page, his Facebook page. Uh, so make sure to check out theseriousreport.com. But I know we have a lot to discuss this morning, Paul. So let's jump right into it. Uh, where where would you like to begin, sir? Yeah, I think let's. I think we should start with the whole Peter Strzok um, development. I mean, like, well, we won't kind of go too much into. Uh, obviously all the previous developments, but I'm sure most people are aware, but Strock was fired from the FBI. That was according to his lawyer, so we can assume it's correct. And of course, a little bit of background, obviously he was accused by Republicans of being biased against Trump and seeking to prevent his uh, election victory. You know, there's numerous tweet, uh, sorry, texts that came out. Of course, perhaps most tellingly, Strock served on the Russia probe and obviously the Hillary Clinton email investigation as well so now what's perhaps quite interesting from you know, amongst many things i guess was that strock's lawyer said that it was the fbi deputy director that ordered the firing now of course that overruled a decision by the head of the fbi's employee discipline who said that really strock should only face a demotion and, and a 60-day suspension and clearly the decision to fire Strzok is a bit of a departure from normal FBI practice. And, of course, it also contradicts um, the director Ray's testimony to Congress and his assurances that the FBI intended you know, to follow its regular process in, in this and all personal matters. So, you know, the question is, OK, why was why effectively was he overruled and why? was the FBI Employee Discipline Committee or however, I'm not exactly sure obviously how that works, but they wanted him only to be demoted in this 60-day suspension. Of course, he subsequently was fired. Uh, um, and, of course, the question is, on the, on the back of him being fired, is that there was this lengthy investigation and all these rounds of congressional testimony, which said they failed to produce a shred of evidence that Strzok's personal views ever affected his work and of course, in the aftermath of this firing, you know, the FBI were very silent. They didn't make any comment on, on it, and probably rightly so. So from my perspective, the question is now, well, okay, do we exactly know why he was fired? That That's the immediate question. And then secondly, of course, on that basis, does that therefore mean that the inquiry into Hillary Clinton's email server needs to be reopened or basically started from scratch? Because obviously during the election campaign, Clinton was investigated by the FBI over this use of a private email server for all, you know, during her time as Secretary of State, blah, blah, blah. You know, we've, we've discussed that many times as have thousands of other people. And we know all the, the text messages were struck as said, you know, in an exchange with Lisa Page, you know, is Trump's not ever going to become president. He says, no, no, we'll stop it. And uh, of course, Trump actually is is gone on the assault over the old tax messages, and subsequently, I think he even said various things at the weekend. So, 
the question is, what now happens? And this is the important thing. And the interesting thing is nobody knew, had any idea this was going to happen. There was no leaks. I mean, apparently the decision was made on Friday, but no one had a clue. I mean, and sorry, but vague references to things is not is, means absolutely nothing. There was nothing of any substance that this was going to happen. So certainly there was no leaks coming out that this was ever begun to become a reality. But the question now is, what happens if he just is fired, nothing happens? Then clearly, you know, it's another example where someone's removed and, and no progress is made because the reality is someone should now say, okay, well, what are the reasons why? And on that basis, do we really need to reassess the whole Russia probe and therefore also the Hillary Clinton email investigation? And there, you know, without any shadow of a doubt, there has to be some understanding as to as to the credibility of 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 the work he was involved in and any testimony he's provided, because clearly, you know, he made this these congressional statements, and now um, it's it just seems like it was irrelevant. Nobody seems to be taking it seriously because why is he being fired? So it depends what now happens as to whether this is any real progress. Or is it just a question of removing someone out, out the firing line and hoping everything just dies a death and everyone forgets about it? Because it's all well and good saying, well, it's, it's great to get people fired and remove them from office. But if it doesn't actually achieve anything tangible, then frankly, it's actually more detrimental than the person stays in office, where their ability to, to also, and in the sense, their accountability remains in the, in the public eye when someone just disappears and then everything dies a death, which I'm not saying it will, but if it does, that's hardly, you know, helping the, the situation of exposing the reality of what's gone on in the FBI, what's gone on in the Department of Justice, et cetera, et cetera. And that is really my concern as to what happens next. Um, and we'll have to wait and see in that regard. But would it surprise you if in two, three months' time, no one ever mentions the word, the name Strock again, and it's like it, none of this ever happened. I'm not saying that will happen, but it's not beyond the bounds of possibility. That's exactly what will happen. Yeah, absolutely. And at the bare minimum, also, Paul, I think there needs to be a very thorough investigation of the FBI, uh, their their policies and procedures, their, their handling of sensitive, sensitive data, their use of private email, or I'm sorry, public emails, you know, their personal cell phones. I mean, this has really left the FBI, and, and this is something I, I think that we strongly need to consider. I think there needs to be congressional hearings into the FBI to find out exactly what is going on. I mean, how many times are we learning that, you know, that Comey uh, did FBI work on his personal email account, his personal phone? I mean, just time after time again, we learn about the one of the institutions that Americans are supposed to entrust to do thorough investigation, do things. And we find out so much corruption. Maybe that's not the fair word for it, but just, just to violate common sense things that people would think that, Oh, by the way, don't use your personal cell phone to, to do FBI work. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and the question is, of course, is Strzok's the third sort of high profile FBI employee who was involved in the Russia and Clinton investigations to effectively be fired because, of course, we had James Coney was fired. Um, and then, of course, Andrew McCabe was also removed by, by um, I think it was Jeff Sessions, after, you know, the Inspector General determined he made unauthorized leaks to the press about the Clinton investigation. So you've got Strzok, Comey, and, and McCabe, who've all been fired effectively. And... They're all now, of course, you could arguably say, well, it's just all a coincidence. They just happen to be involved in the Russian and Clinton investigations because that's the role they're fulfilling. And of course, right, to some extent, there is an argument for that. But the question is, you now have to go back and say, well, OK, on that basis, we need to now need to say, well, OK, we certainly need to go and open the Clinton investigation and have, you know, from scratch. Don't don't jump in the middle somewhere based on other people's work or anything they've done. You have to start from the beginning. And of course, that will take a long period of time to investigate it because I think as well as investigating that, you then have to extend the investigation to the Clinton Foundation, which I think is the root of many problems, as I think all of us would agree on that. And then the question, therefore, as well is, well, how does this all pan out in terms of the, the whole Russia investigation with Mueller? And it comes back to the fact 
you know, with Sessions, if Sessions had never recused himself, there would have never been a Mueller investigation. And that would have been the end of a huge bunch of problems that, that you know, have happened to Trump. And there's sort of rumblings about Trump and Sessions again. But I think Sessions has been a, a huge roadblock in terms of of getting to the bottom of, of a whole bunch of things. And certainly, you know, his actions have caused this Mueller investigation to even to ever come about in the first place. And as I said, it'll just rumble on and on and on because you can, there's no remit. So you effectively, you can just open another line of inquiry and say, well, it relates to this investigation. And therefore you can effectively keep this investigation going on in perpetuity. Now I'm not suggesting that's reality, but I, I think it's it's not it's going to rumble on at least till the end of this year. Now, of course, what happens in the midterms may, to some extent, make a make a big difference. It's if you know Trump ends up with a landslide victory in the midterms, I think it may likely to curtail the the Mueller investigation somewhat sooner if it if it goes the other way. And I think the only way that's likely to happen, and we've mentioned this before, is. If there is a huge financial event prior to the midterms, that I think is the only way that Trump stands to to lose or lose ground or or even worse, lose the House and the Senate with regards to um, to um, you know is you know the the midterms. But we, I mean, it remains to be seen in that regard what exactly pans out. But um, but yeah. It, it, it again, it's you know, people always point to, oh well, this is a sign, you know, the swamp's being drained, Strock's gone, this is a. These people are just, you know, they're minor players in the process. We're not even scratching at the where the real problems lie, be it in Washington, be it in London or anywhere else. We're not even remotely getting to the point. These people are just actors in the game. They're just doing a fulfilling a job. The question is, who is actually ultimately responsible for? for policy decisions that are being made in, in the likes of the FBI and everywhere else, the Department of Justice or wherever else you'd like to say. And until, you know, the root cause of the problem is dealt with, it doesn't matter because you can remove Strock, you can remove Comey, you can remove McCabe, and they'll just replace them with other people who aren't really going to do anything differently. I mean, I mean, it's like, for example, I mean, are we seeing any major changes since Ray took over in the FBI? Not to my not to my knowledge or my understanding. Perhaps someone can point things in, you know, to the contrary. But all you're doing is replacing one bunch of actors with another bunch. And until you get to those, we say the root cause, things aren't going to change. So whilst it's quite interesting what's happened with Strzok, unless someone now says, okay, on that basis, we should reopen investigations, start investigations from scratch, and start questioning things like the the whole Mueller investigation into this Russia Gate nonsense. That no, nothing changed, and it's the same nonsense just carries on. Yeah, it makes it very difficult to really assess. And while there are several theories out there, it's it's so much disinformation, Paul, that's happening. It's disinformation on, on the surface and in the background, and that's what makes it so hard. I don't think anyone really knows specifically, and you pointed out a, a great point, and that's regarding Jeff Sessions. And we see... Sessions is Sessions conflicted. You know, he's one that has opposed uh, Congress when they actively, specifically uh, went out uh, after Rosenstein, and we're going to hold him contempt and and potentially to to uh, to impeach him for his role. But then Sessions comes out and says, "Well, wait a minute. No, he's a good guy. That's the wrong thing to do. I, I put all my trust in him." So is so is Sessions doing that purposely, knowing that sometimes it's best that if there is prosecution or potential for that to occur. Is it is it better to keep them in house for monitoring versus versus terminating and releasing? I I don't know, Paul. <laughs> that's it, it, you know what I'm saying. There's just so much information disinformation coming out from media and reporting that's coming out. Well, no, you make an excellent point there. Absolutely. Sometimes, I mean, I think certainly within the Trump administration, not in reference to anyone in particular, but I think. Certain people were certainly brought into the fold because it was easier to keep an eye on them inside the fold than outside. But I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, there was a lot of Republican consternation when obviously Rosenstein said that uh, he was confident the special counsel team was being run appropriately. I think that was last year at some point. So, yeah, there's certainly I have reservations about Rosenstein and and uh, and 
what he's actually, you know, his role in all this. And so therefore, on that basis, yeah, you can argue that Sessions' conduct in that regard is is questionable. But, you know, I think the basic problem is, is, you know, I come back for me, the biggest failing of Sessions was recusing himself, which allowed, you know, open the floodgates and allow this Mueller investigation to ever start because it would never have happened. And therefore, we wouldn't be talking about a whole bunch of things that have frustrated the Trump administration in relations with the Russian and frustrated a lot of progress that could have been made. Now, there could be a hundred reasons why Sessions did that. He could have just done it because he was frightened that he, you know, that somehow, you know, he felt that aspects of his previous relations with people may have compromised him and that's why he did it. And there might be perfectly legitimate reasons why he's done so, but it, or it might just be purely just very bad decision that he's made i mean we don't know it doesn't always have to be nefarious reasons why people do things it can just be literally just incompetence yeah paul and while we're staying on u.s domestic issues i think this wasn't in our deck to chat about but i think it's something we need to and and that's in regards to the u.s state department and furthering sanctions against russia for this this fake chemical attack i mean how many times paul did we discuss it and showing that this was completely False, and then we have people like Mom, Mike Pompeo, who's in Trump's inner circle. So, so what are we to to believe? Are we to believe that all of these actors are playing out against Trump, but then they're they're in his inner circle, and then we send Rand Paul to visit Vladimir Putin with a sealed letter? What what are your thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, I know I don't. I don't. You know, I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of people who like to believe there's some grand chess game going on between China, Russia, and and obviously uh, you know, Trump administration, and there isn't because I don't I, I've, you know, I don't doubt if you put Trump and Putin in a room together, they'll have a very you know, in, sensible, coherent conversation about things. I don't I don't doubt when they had their one-to-one that's exactly what happened. But Trump's ability to to, um, to gen you know, normalized relations with the Russians is, is impossible because of the Mueller investigation and because there's this rapid idea within, within the, you know, the Senate, Congress, everywhere else, for that matter, in the Beltway in general, that, you know, Russia's responsible for everything. And yet the whole Scripple thing is, is beggar's belief because there's no evidence that the Russians have had any involvement. And then the U.S. suddenly decides, well, actually, we're going to impose more sanctions. And by the way, if you don't allow us to come and in, investigate your country to ascertain the chemical weapons you have, then we're going to impose more sanctions when Russia, according to the OPCW, got rid of all their chemical weapons, you know, quite a few years ago. And one, who's one nation who's still got chemical weapons? The U.S. themselves. So, And no, I... There isn't some grand collusion going on that the Russians and the Chinese are very irritated in the extreme by the actions of the Trump administration. But we have to divorce Trump from the actions of his administration. And certainly we know Pompeo and Bolton have been, have caused a huge amount of problems in that regard, more so, I think, with China. But I think... The basic bottom line is if you, and this is, you know, we talked about this, so this is not like we're just discussing it now. I said it was very obvious there was elements within the Trump administration who who wanted Trump, uh, Trump to go to, to Helsinki and in some way begin the process of driving a wedge between the Chinese and the Russians. And I said they will never happen. And we don't need to labor that point. But what do we see? Shortly afterwards, now we start to see all these sanctions now, you know, additional sanctions being imposed on on Russia. Is that because that's not necessarily Trump? And I don't think Trump wants to do that. But that is sort of the ulterior motive to try and push Trump to to not necessarily from his perspective, drive a wedge between the Russians and Chinese, but to try and, you know, from other people's, from the neocon perspective to to indirectly get Trump to do that. When that fails, they go, okay, well, we're just going to have to resort to imposing more sanctions on Russia. But, I mean, we've really now reached a situation with with the Trump administration when any nation does anything. Of course, they no longer can wage war. I mean, the last time they, they tried to do that was Syria, and, of course, it's failed abysmally. And because of Russia's military superiority and China, for that matter, who's now actually starting to show some of its technology that the West didn't know existed, of course, it's existed for years because China, like Russia, doesn't tell the world what they're actually doing. 
what happens is they can no longer resort to military action anywhere. So now the only uh, the only sort of objective they have is, oh, we'll just economically attack nations and we'll sanction them. And uh, But in the process, all this is doing is doing precisely uh, what the, ironically, what the, the cabal doesn't want. It's just causing mass de-dollarization, which is ultimately going to kill the dollar stone debt. And, and of course, you know, it's what we talked about this before we went on air, but I think it's really worth making this point again. People say, well, you know, why do we still have all this corruption? Why, why do we have chemtrails? Why do we have GMO food? Why do, why do all these problems, I guess, why do we have problems in the financial system? Well, it's because they're all backed by the dollar. Until the dollar dies, none of this will ever end. There'll be ne- it will go on in perpetuity. And it's the death of the dollar, which means they can have all the money they want. They can no longer influence anyone. They can't buy arms. They can't buy political favor. They can't bribe and, and uh, blackmail people. And the list goes on and on. They can't get people to do their dirty work anymore because they can't pay them. They can pay them while they've got the printing press where they just go, okay, well, we can just export our debt. Okay, let's just go and pay for some group of, of dissidents or some group of uh, rebels or some faction in some country. Let's, let's uh, you know, either arm them or give them some political uh, clout by financing them to try and overthrow um, governments. I mean, we, we talked about Nicaragua, undoubtedly Venezuela. There's now a lot of suggestions regarding Montenegro and problems, and the list goes on and on, and we know who the, the actors are in that regard. And and that will carry on. And all the problems the US has internally will never go away until the dollar dies. And But when the dollar dies, it changes the way of life for all Americans. Now, the question is, for how long is that going to be a detrimental problem? Because it will be detrimental. And that's what bothers me, is that people go, oh, we drain the swamp, and everything goes away and all the problems disappear. Well, yes, a lot, but it, there's going to be a transient period for the US where it's going to have financial difficulties and problems because it is so massively indebted. Never mind 21, 22 trillion debt. You've got 250, 300 trillion, who knows how, maybe 400 trillion in, in liabilities, unfunded liabilities. And, you know, we're not going to labor the point about the US economy. But those problems don't go away because the U.S. has no gold. And people keep saying to me, oh, the U.S. has gold. Well, if it has gold, why is it not being audited for decades? And the other problem is, why do they keep smashing the price of gold to give the illusion that the dollar's strong and gold's weak? If they had 8,000 tons of gold, they'd have no reason to do this because the reality is they have to keep the illusion going of the strength of the dollar. That's to keep their empire going. But once that illusion dies, and, and it's back to the point, you don't attack the dollar directly because you can't take the dollar on and defeat it. But what you do is you de-dollarize. You trade in bilateral currencies. You go out of your way to do everything by not trading in the dollar. And that's precisely what China and Russia have done and countless nations across the world so gradually the dollar becomes more and more irrelevant because they know that's ultimately the only way to defeat the cabal. And the truth is, I think, inside Washington, I think there's only one person who understands this and knows that's a reality, and that's Trump himself. I don't think anyone else believes it's reality or even believes it's a possibility, but I have no doubt he knows that's exactly what it's going to take to to you know remove or drain the swamp, as he's referred to it before he was elected. And I think these are really important points to mention because I think for me, this I'm not saying everybody by any stretch of the imagination, but there is too many people who think you just get rid of the, you get you drain the swamp and somehow the dollar stays intact and everything's going to be fine and, and dandy in that regard. And it's absolutely not going to be. It's impossible. You can't have a nation that's indebted. And then the question is, okay, well, can they lease gold off anyone? I'm not sure anybody trusts the U.S. to lease gold because in days gone by, people of, you know, nations have sent gold to the U.S. and never, and then had a huge problem getting it back. So I'm not even sure that's a viable proposition in, in the short term. So it comes back to the fact you have a devalued dollar. Where, 
and the US no longer has the, the credit card. So it will have to completely change its whole perspective. Its foreign policy will change overnight, and then it has to focus on rebuilding the nation, and that's not going to happen overnight. It needs a strong export base, and, it, and if it's capable of doing that, then it can become very strong economically, but that's not going to happen overnight by any stretch. And that's why, you know, for me, Trump spent nearly two years not dealing with that problem. And instead, signing off, you know, big, huge, bloated budgets um, for for military, you know, seven hundred plus billion. When in fact, the money would be far better spent. Well, not all of it. You do need military budget, of course, you do. But funding all these ba- hundreds of bases all around the world costs a huge amount of money. Stop doing that and start rebuilding the infrastructure. And the truth is, what infrastructure has been rebuilt in the U.S. next to nothing? And that's a big problem. Now, there can be a hundred reasons why Trump hasn't done that. So we have to be a little careful in being too critical of him. But that's the reality. And I know sometimes people get very upset when I say these things, but I'm not saying it because I get any pleasure out of saying it. Quite the reverse. I wish it wasn't the case because a weak U.S. is going to be hugely detrimental to the world at large. A strong American nation amongst equals is the best thing that could happen to the world. I mean, and eventually the U.S. will become a strong nation, but how long is it going to be in the economic doldrums till it actually rectifies its problem? But if you, as I say, you have to go through that pain barrier because if you don't, the U.S. is going to be stuck with the the beltway, the cabal, the deep state, because they'll never go away because they've always got the ability to go, okay, well, let's just effectively use our you know unlimited credit card and we can carry on doing what we're doing. And that's precisely why China and Russia have done what they've done, because by by adopting the de-dollarization process, it's actually weakening the cabal. And of course, when they impose all these sanctions on Russia, and particularly after Ukraine, Russia went, great, you're doing exactly what we want you to do, because we'll diversify our our trade market, we'll trade with other nations. And yeah, we're happy to de-dollarize. And you only have to listen to the comments that have come out of Russia in the last week regarding the dollar i mean is this do you think the timings is uh, just a coincidence absolutely not because we're reaching more and more a critical point where de-dollarization is growing in in exponentially and in the process the dumping of u.s treasury i mean russia have publicly admitted they've all but dumped everything they couldn't hide that but the, the reality is china's dumped an awful lot of u.s treasuries and, and continues to do so at an enormous uh, volume. And, of course, in the process, all this idea of its indebtedness is, is simply not true because they have enormous foreign exchange reserves, which they can pay for all these developments in cash. They're not, they're not, they're not indebted doing any of this. Paul, you said so many important things there. <laughs> you really did. I mean, it's, uh, you know, hitting the nail head on, on a lot of aspects. I, I completely agree that... Trump does understand that the corruption does lie with the ability for for America to print the dollar endlessly. And he understands that, I mean, take a look at, you know, while the disguise of, of you know, make America great again and, and shutting down all the trade with almost isolating the United States, it's going to the, the, the quickening of, of potentially the dollar demise. And what's challenging is, Paul, is because Everyone, I don't want to use the word everyone, paint with that brother brush, but I think a, a lot of people are so fixated just solely on domestic issues, domestic issues in regards to the Russia, the thing. It's a, it's a great, uh, I don't use the word disguise, but it's a, it's a, it's a great distraction. And if people don't pause for a moment and look up to see what is happening uh, economically around the globe right now in the emerging markets, taking a look at you know, it's not only the United States that's suffering, it's, 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 it's globally in regards to this massive debt that's occurring. Do you want to jump in, talk a little bit around the emerging markets and, and, and what's happening there? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've seen, I'm not going to go into masses of detail because for our podcast, uh, subscriber did a huge kind of half an hour conversation yesterday talking about Turkey and, and all the detail and everything that's going on. But Certainly, there's currency wars going on in emerging markets. Uh, 
And of course, the flip side is dollar. The dollar goes from strength to strength. And we've seen this fall in gold to sub 1200 yesterday and silver went sub 1500. And then they're trying to blame it on Turkey because, oh, everyone's dumping gold or some central banks dumping gold. And it's absolutely not the case. What it is, is there's just a concerted attack on nations such as Turkey and and for that matter, other currencies, this is just currency speculation that's trying to weaken nations deliberately because they're all de-dollarizing. They're all standing up going, we're not prepared to trade in dollars. We're actually not going to agree to obey your sanctions against Iran. The list goes on. So this is what the backdrop of this is. But yes, there is. there are enormous global debt problems, absolutely. And there's no shadow of a doubt that is the case. And some of these emerging markets do have st strong growth in their economy, but they do have problems. But one thing that's clear is the part of the Belt and Road Initiative is that nations will get backstopped. I mean, Venezuela is undoubtedly being backstopped by China and Russia to, you know, China more in a, in a direct financial sense, but Russia indirectly through through oil trade. And and that that's not unique by any stretch of the imagination. There's There's no doubt the question is, you know what what's going on with regards to Turkey in that regard, and we'll we'll park that because obviously I've discussed it elsewhere, and I don't want to go into that into any particular detail. But it's nation after nation. There's going to be nations all around the world that have joined the Belt and Road Initiative simply on the basis that China does provide security to them economically, and increasingly we're seeing nations providing military security by Russia in the process. So, because that's their protection against being railroaded into the ground economically by by you know effectively you know us-led policy in the in the world i mean we've seen this in countless nations whose economies are being wrecked and then of course they, the the poison chalice of the imf turns up and they're forever indebted and they, they're stuck in a cycle and a loop they can never get out of but but I think one thing that's definitely worth mentioning has been a lot of subject and something you we mentioned about discussing, and it was a great subject you brought up, CJ, was about Trump and the Fed because yes, please, no, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt Trump's got a lot of reasons why he'd want to take control of the Fed. Now I have to say that in principle, you know, because it is a very big principle. But what we're certainly seeing, if you raise interest rates, you're going to stop the growth in the money supply in. And, and the Fed's effectively stands in the way of further growth in the American economy. Okay, there's a lot of arguments for and against it, but from Trump's perspective, that's what he's looking at. And we know the Board of Governors of the Fed has seven members, and it has three currently. So two of the current governors were put into the position by Trump. There's two more that have been nominated by the president, and they're waiting confirmation by the Senate. So if you look after these two nominees have joined the Fed's board, Trump will then nominate two more. So in essence, in principle, it's possible he has six of the seven board members will be put in place by Trump. So immediately, of course, everyone thinks, oh, that means Trump controls the Federal Reserve. Well, no, it doesn't. It means he may have people who are more sympathetic in terms of, uh, but it doesn't mean he has control of it. And of course, the also the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC, that's got 12 members and they set the nation's monetary policy. Of course, seven of the 12 are members of the Board of Governors and five additional ones are Federal Reserve District Bank President. So effectively, in essence, that even if Trump, you could argue, say he has six of them on side, it means he only has six out of 12. So it doesn't mean there's going to have that... Um, bigger influence and other than the head of the fed bank in new york who was of course nominated by trump the other four can only take the positions as district bank presidents if the board in washington agrees to their hiring and so there it's not as simple as that now of course if we we look at the situation with with regards to the fed and the whole dodd frank act which came in 2010 you know it you know in essence, the question is, it was set up where it said they're going to penalize banks that don't obey all these rules. And they include, they set limits as to how big an individual bank could be and how much money banks had to invest in Fed funds and treasuries in relation to their asset and desirable loans and ones that weren't and where the bonk, 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 bank had to obtain funding. 
etc etc now the argument is these rules have slowed bank investments in the economy and also bank lending in the housing market i'm not exactly sure that's ever the case because i'm not i'm not convinced that the banks aren't doing a lot of things that by right the, the dodd frank act should have prevented in the first place and uh and then by some extent, you know, obviously Trump's trying to correct this by put he put a new Fed governor to regulate the banking industry. I think it was Randall Quarles, I think his name was. And if you look though in the second quarter of 2018, the growth in the month the M2 money supply has been zero. So the money supply didn't grow at all, and the Fed's continued to raise interest rates. You know, I think it's seven times in the last not even three years. It'll be three years by the end of this year. So obviously, current Fed policy is in contradiction with, you know, Trump's economic goals. Of course, the bigger problem is that if you have raising int- rising interest rates, sorry, you know, the Treasury is going to pay more and more in interest payments, and it could well be that um, in this fiscal year it could be 450, 500 billion in interest payments. Now, of course, we all know the reality is. Why do why does any government pay interest on debt? Because and people say to me, well, you can't issue your own debt because it'll cause hyperinflation. But no, the point is, you issue your own debt interest free, but the debt still has to be repaid back. The difference is, you don't pay all the interest on it, um, and that that that's a separate problem that maybe eventually that the reality will come to pass that nations won't pay stupid interest, and they can because any nation can in issue the interest-free loans but the issue the point is if you issue say 100 billion then the 100 billion at some point has to be paid back it's not you just printing money the whole point is it gets paid back you just don't pay all the accrued interest which is crippling u.s economies and other other economies you know throughout the western world and beyond um so i mean and then there's the idea well if the u.s kid can inflate its way out of its debt well Good luck trying to do that because the reality is, you'll what's hyperinflation going to do to to the U.S. economy? It's going to kill its well, it's already practically in the ICU. It'll kill its stone dead if you do that. But what is interesting with regards to the Fed was when the law was written creating the Fed. It actually, at the time, the Secretary of the Treasury was designated as the head of the Federal Reserve. I'm not sure a lot of people actually realise that. Now, the question is. Could we return to that era, you know, in which case the Fed's ability to be independent or is completely independent goes out the window? Because, of course, effectively it becomes politicized because the Secretary of the Treasury could effectively head the Federal Reserve. And therefore, that's an entirely different matter. So the idea that Trump's employing all these people who are sympathetic to his perspective is rendered largely irrelevant if suddenly the Secretary of the Treasury could be designated as the head of the Federal Reserve. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen imminently. But even if you do that, it doesn't necessarily resolve the problems. Because the question is, who is actually really running the Fed? And I don't think anyone actually, well, I'm sure there are, are there must be some people clearly who do know who's running the Fed. But I don't think from, in many respects, the 12 members of these Board of Governors actually are the ultimate decision makers. Because if you look at the reality of it, why would anybody have made all these interest rate hikes in the US? Now, it is a, it's damned if you do and damned if you don't, because low interest rates or QE and zero interest rate policy kills economies. It should never have been allowed to happen in the first place. But the argument is you can't, if you raise interest rates, you're going to kill the economy. And if you keep them effectively at zero, you're going to kill the economy in the process. But raising interest rate is going to cripple the U.S. economy, because all it's going to do is increase the indebtedness of, you know, you know, the average American citizen in the process. Never mind what it does in a macroeconomic sense. So, yeah, there's a lot of idea Trump takes control, and they make great headlines. But ultimately, I don't think putting all these people in is going to change what the Fed does. Something far more seismic is going to have to happen to change Fed policy. I think ultimately. The question is, what purpose does the Federal Reserve have in terms of, of, of U.S. economic policy decision? And in a, in, a, in a more general sense, what influence does it have globally? That is the question that needs to be asked. And from my perspective, you don't need a Fed. The Federal Reserve 
doesn't need to exist. You don't need to have central bank policy that that actually doesn't make decisions that are in the best interest of any nation, as we know. And, and that's a separate matter altogether. So controlling the Federal Reserve is rather becomes irrelevant than if you just actually at some point have the policy to say, well, actually, as far as we're concerned, the Federal Reserve no longer serves the purpose it was intended and we're going to get rid of it. It either completely mod, mod, moder, you know, moderates its behavior, it changes its policy, or in reality, we just get rid of it and say, well, actually, we don't need central bank policy. The purpose of our government, our treasury, is to make that policy, and we'll make the policy decisions that we know would be for the, you know, to obviously the betterment of, of the US people rather than an independent, in inverted commas, central bank that makes decisions based on its own uh, what it wants to achieve which is ultimately again who really controls central banks and there's all this idea the Rothschilds control all the central bank well no they absolutely don't that is yeah at one point they had a lot more power now that the Rothschilds relatively have very little power and influence over anything and that that's another kind of illusion that seems to have just have grown exponentially out of control and but yes, at some point they had huge influence, but certainly not anymore. And and that's ultimately the question. It's like who really controls the exchange stabilization fund, which actually controls the Fed. I mean, ultimately, so they, they're dictating to the Fed policy. And the question is, who controls that? And do you ever hear anything about that? No. So the Feds are very good to be kind of in the in the public eye and the ones who'll get kicked for policy decisions that are made. Uh, incorrectly, but really the exchange stabilization fund is the ultimate problem in the US. And until that gets re resolved, it doesn't matter what the Fed does because the Fed's just doing what it's told anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, a very risky uh, game, if you will, with uh, touting the US economic numbers and it gets you know regurgitated over and over again regarding you know record levels of employment, you know, the GDP, these numbers and narratives, a recent figure came out, Paul, showed that with this year's fiscal plan since October last year, that the government ran a $683 billion deficit, which easily could very well be over a trillion dollars this year. Yes, yeah, yeah, I think it probably will be as near as makes the difference a trillion dollars. You know, we have the same problems. The UK unemployment figures came out today saying they're at 43-year lows. <laughs> so we're talking, what, 1975? Well, if my memory serves me right, then, uh, you know, very soon after that, there were, <laughs> within about less, probably around 12 months after that, Britain had the IMF bailing the UK out because it was bust. And then we had you know, quite a few years of, Economic, absolute economic turmoil. We ended up with the so-called winter of discontent. We had three-day weeks. We had power cuts. And the list goes on. So this shows a precedent, that all this idea of low unemployment. The reality is it's meaningless. And, and I question unemployment figures anyway because I can't say with any certainty what the reality is for unemployment in the UK. But what we certainly know in the US, it's around 22 23%. Not less than 4%. And you know, we have 90 odd million economically inactive people and the list goes on. And yeah, we mentioned it before, but it's worth reiterating the fact this is economic reality. And, uh, and I think the problem is there are people who are, you know, who are supportive of Trump for, for a lot of, for all the right reasons. And because he is trying to do, you know, trying to actually wrestle the, the deep state cabal, from from controlling the US, but they're also buying the economic uh, reality that he's telling them. And that is not economic reality. And that's why if there is some seismic economic event prior to the midterm, this could be very deeply damaging to, to the Trump administration. And I'm not suggesting anyone inside the US is going to go, hang on, well, let's just kill and stone dead the you know, global economy again, because they know it's game over. They know this time there's no resuscitation of banks. So they have to keep this illusion going. And people say, oh, well, you know, I've heard for countless years, people said, well, they're just setting it all up to deliberately crash it again. And my argument to them is, well, why have they wasted 10 years doing it when they could have done it in 2008? 
when the Chinese and the Russians didn't have the belt, well, China didn't have the Belt and Road Initiative. We didn't have all these de-dollarization, all these global projects and all this bilateral trade agreements between nations. And the world was a very different place back then. So why wait 10 years for China and Russia to become you know, effectively far stronger nations than they were that economically, militarily and everything else? It, it makes no sense. So no, the, it's not a question for me of the feds or anyone else going, well, okay, let's crash the US economy and then, and then it's going to be the end of Trump because it's, it would serve no purpose. In the end, it would just destroy the US economically. And, and people say, well, they, they want to do that as well. Well, again, come back to the point, why have they wasted 10 years not doing it? They could have done it in 2008. And it, would have, it wouldn't make it any worse than if they did it 10 years later. So, no, they're doing everything to try and prop it up and keep the illusion going. Why? Because it has to, because they have to have the dollar. Once the dollar dies, it's game over. And they can't kill this dollar and then go, oh, by the way, we're just going to create another reserve currency. Because the world would turn around to them and say, we're not interested. We don't, we're not, you, you've had one failed re reserve currency and you're seriously telling us to adopt another. They wouldn't. And if the world doesn't adopt the new one, then, then it's game over as well. So they're not going to take the risk of killing one to try and start another one because nobody on this planet, no single nation is ever going to adopt a new you know, US dollar that's, because, that's the world reserve currency. So that's another reason why the idea... All, there's this gigantic game to kill everything is simply not reality but it is it's a huge problem and we there's there's no way of, of getting around this and it's not just the us yet yeah, the western nations many nations are going to suffer and those nations that don't have gold and silver or hard assets to back a future currency are going to struggle and they're going to struggle so severely because they don't simply lack the manufacturing base which Western nations don't have. I mean, the one thing with Turkey that's worth mentioning is it has a decent um, export uh, market. And of course, if the lira gets hammered, their exports become much cheaper. So for them, it's, it's, it's a, in that sense, they get some benefit out of a devalued currency. But Western nations, if we have devalued currency, it just creates hyperinflation because we have massive requirement for imports. And unfortunately, the U.S. suffers that more than, than a lot of nations do in the process. Absolutely. And that's, you know, there's some number, there are certain things you can't deny. That's one that, you know, inflation is on its way up here in the United States. And whether the administration's actions with these uh, sanctions, these tariffs have created some of that. Uh, U.S. manufacturing costs are up uh, due to some of these steel tariffs. So I agree at some point. In the United States, we have to turn back towards more towards a manufacturing uh, capacity, but that will be reached primarily because we will have to purchase those goods because foreign countries, foreign, foreign manufacturers, Paul, they probably won't want the U.S. dollar as a method of exchange. Why, why would they? And I think that we are seeing that demand, you know, for the dollar, you know, the tax cuts that were created this past year primarily propped up. The U.S. economy. Uh, we know that. We know that the ma majority of corporations, although they advertise, "Hey, we're giving these thousand-dollar bonuses," we, we you know we weren't anticipating this. So here's your bonus. That's that's good and great, but the majority of these funds went right back into stock buybacks, inflating mm -hmm. their stock prices, and that's what that it was almost like a bailout of the U.S. economy. It, tr it truly was. And so now. What other creative ways? I think they've had ways to get creative other than other than looking at pensions and 401ks. Uh, I can't think of really anything else to really prop things up. And I think Americans are going to be at great risk if we allow that type of, of, of action to happen. I think Americans are really going to have to start looking in terms of their assets and and diversifying away from dollar backed assets, you know, you know, some gold. Some, you know, uh, I mean, I really think that we're being faced with that decision. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that don't understand that, that this, this system, this economic system that we're living in right now cannot continue. No, it's absolutely impossible. I mean, you know, there's, there's no way around it. And of course, you know, people get frustrated going, well, the price of gold's gone below 1200 and the price of silver's now below, well, it might have just actually, I think it 
kind of went below fifteen hundred and uh, fifteen hundred fifteen dollars. It's now just slightly above fifteen dollars. But but the point is, the reason is because of the paper market suppression, and of course that's a, that that is by design because they have to give the impression of dollar strength. So everyone keeps going. Well, the dollar's so strong and robust, and and gold's this barbarous relic. Or oh, everyone's selling gold. No one needs gold. It's well, because. They want to create the idea that, that the paper is somehow is is trumping physical metal. Well, it simply is impossible. And and the, and they don't want anybody in the West buying gold and and silver because it's real money. Fiat currency is not money. It never has been, and it never will be. And of course, yeah, absolutely, nations that adopt the world's reserve currency simply never survive. It, can, it will never survive. Eventually, it will cave in and collapse. And that history's proved that, and the US dollar's no exception. And, and that's why the future is sound monetary policy, and that only comes about by backing currencies with gold and silver. And that is what is coming. That is, that is why China and Russia have bought enormous quantities of gold, why they mine enormous quantities of and never export it unless they do some deal between themselves, but they're not effectively exporting it in any way, shape, or form. They, they're not doing this for no good reason. The Western nations, by and large, just carry on belie believing in the fiat experiment. And, and I think the problem is it's just really as much a psychological problem that it's, people can't comprehend how, how the dollar could die. It's, uh, from their perspective, it's impossible. It's not just the average American citizen who... You know, doesn't even have the time or the interest or the inclination to to get to grips with economic reality in their country or be it the UK or anywhere else for that matter. We're talking about people who should know better, but they st still continue to hang in on to the belief that the dollar is king dollar and it will reign supreme. And they, you know, they all, oh, well, you know, the dollarization is very small. It's a fraction of, of trade. Well, it isn't. It's enormous now and it's growing exponentially year by year week by week month by month and in the process nations are dumping u.s treasuries which is why we see very strange occurrences with ireland with 300 billion or 250 billion of u.s treasuries seriously <laughs> or people like the cayman islands etc no u.s treasuries are not being bought up by foreign uh, nations anymore they're being brought, bought up by hedge funds and also the Exchange Stabilization Fund buys them all up when they're dumped as well because they have to keep this dollar illusion going. But, of course, it's dying and there's nothing they can do to stop it. But, of course, and that's why ultimately the future isn't. There's no point China going, well, actually, yeah, we'll be the world's reserve currency, but it's going to be fiat-based because they know damn well in the end it's going to destroy their economy and wreck their nation. So they go, no, we can't do that. So we've got no intention of doing that. We're going to have a gold-backed uh, RMB, or we're going to have a gold-backed ruble, or we're going to have whatever it might be, and that's the future, and that is exactly what's coming. And in terms of the, the gold and silver price, the reason it is being suppressed is because for every ounce of, of gold, who knows in reality? I mean, is it 100 ounces of, of paper? Is it more? It, at times, it's even greater. It's being dumped in the market to suppress the price. That's what it takes to, to maintain the illusion of the dollar to the detriment of gold and silver and what's, you know, what are nations all around the world doing. Go, we'll smash the price because you know what? We'll just buy even more and more of it. And it's rather like U.S. sanctions. All U.S. sanctions are doing is accelerating the death of the dollar because nations are going, okay, well, if you're going to exclude us from the dollar-based system, you want to exclude us from SWIFT, fine. We'll just use um, some other payment mechanism, be it SIPs, whatever, and say, okay, and we won't trade in dollar anymore. You know, Russia and China will, will trade in RMB. They'll trade in the ruble. Or maybe Turkey and China will trade in, in the yuan, or maybe they'll trade in the Turkish lira or whatever. You know. That's, they're accelerating the death of their own empire in the process. But that's the only answer they've got. They don't have any military option anymore. So they have to take extreme economic actions to try and control nations. But nations and people, I said two or three years ago, 
the world now looks at Washington and goes, we're not interested in what you've got to say anymore. You, you walk in the room, we all nod our head. You walk out the room and we do exactly what we're going to do. And people said, this is nonsense. It's not reality. Well, that's exactly what's happening now. Look at Iran. Nation after nation's going, we're not going to give up trading with Iran. So what happens? Immediately, India starts to make rumblings that they're going to trade with um, Iran in non-dollar terms. Now, what's America immediately doing? Trying to put sanctions, uh, oh, sorry, tariffs on India with mm -hmm. regards to steel. And I mean, but that's the only answer they've got now. They have no other answer, and it's and it's absolutely self-defeating. So whatever they do now, they're just accelerating their own demise. It's like Syria accelerated their own demise. It's like trying to um, have a coup attempt on Erdogan. The day after it happened, I said this is the beginning of the end of NATO and the beginning of the end of of the Syrian conflict and the beginning of the end of relations between the U.S. and Turkey. And they will never. In, in in this era of, of of civilization ever become what they were previously. I mean, in a post-Kabar world, everything, of course, will change. But they were, and why do they do this? They were desperate because Turkey was not playing ball. And back then they thought, oh, we can have a regi regime change. They can't even consider that now. So they have to go through the economic route. And that's exactly what's going on in Iran. Mm. And people say, oh, no, it's because they want to get rid of these nasty mullahs because they're all cabal. No, they want to economically cripple Iran because they've been trying to do it for decades because Iran will not play ball with them. And Iran refuses to, to acquiesce to U.S. demands to do everything. And in the process, they go, well, we'll just have to make you the, the bogeyman in the Middle East and you're responsible for everything. And, and Russia and China, all these nations are saying we're not prepared to accept it either. And people think that Iran's going to cave in and, and um, meet the U.S. demands. They won't. The chance of the U.S. and, and uh, Iran having any formal discussion in the immediate future is virtually nil. It would take some unbelievable uh, change of policy from Washington to get the Iranians to the discussion table to agree to anything because they simply don't trust the U.S. to, to you know, they may agree something, and then they'll completely change their view five minutes later and do something exactly to the opposite, which is completely detrimental to whatever agreement's being reached. Or in some cases, they completely and utterly scythe this whole agreement in, in half. And they're not prepared to accept that anymore. And that's the reality where it is. But this doesn't mean what Trump's doing makes him cabal. No, he's not. And, you know, I, I get people saying to me, well, if you criticize Trump, you know, then... You know, you you must be. You know, then you're not. You know, you're not being supportive of the U.S. No, or if you don't agree with everything Trump's doing, then well, it's not. Trump is not the problem. Trump never has been the problem. Trump, the problem is he has the swamp, the cabal, the deep state that he's having to deal with that he simply cannot deal with. It is. I think, to be honest, when he came in office, I think he thought it'd be easier than it than than it was going to be, and I think it's been a huge learning curve for him to understand the extent of the problem he's having to address and deal with. But, you know, I will support Trump. And, and, and in some ways, whether it's by good luck or good management or inadvertently, a lot of the policies he's doing is actually going a long way to killing the cabal in the process. But my concern isn't, is, is that's great that that's happening. My concern though is, is what happens to relations with the likes of China and Russia in the process. And, you know, in a post-Cabal world, they've all gone. And if Trump's still president, are the Russians and the Chinese going to turn around and say, well, OK, let's forget the past. Let's turn over a new leaf. And, and maybe that will happen. But there's nothing at this point to indicate that's the case, because, you know, China and Russia are, are not just playing a game and saying they're furious with what's going on. They absolutely are furious because what U.S. policy is doing, if the U.S. policy was just killing Washington's cabal and not impacting them. They go, okay, fine, carry on. But US policy is damaging to some degree, to varying degrees, to the Russian economy, to the Chinese economy, and they're having to make reforms quicker than they want to and implement policy that they didn't want to do at this time. As soon as that happens, China and Russia are not going to stand there and go, we'll tolerate this. They don't mind benign actions that don't affect them, but when it starts to damage their own economy 
and damage their own ability to do things on on the world stage, then they're going to have serious reservations about it. And again, it's trust. I mean, throughout history, I mean, worse. I mean, particularly if you look at the UK, there's worse the trust between Russia and the UK and the China and the UK. But it's the same with the US. The trust has to be rebuilt, and that's not necessarily going to happen overnight. Because again, you have to look at this logically. Trump's president till at least 2020. And if he gets re-elected till 2024, but the Russians and the Chinese don't look at 2020 or 2024, they're going to go, okay, in 2030, who's going to be in office? What's going to be happening? Are we still going to have a sensible Trump-type administration that want, wants the world to, to evolve the way we want it to and to not have a unipolar world and a multipolar world? Or are we going to get another administration that tries to impose a unipolar worldview on things? So... They're not going to instantly roll over and make a lot of concessions to the US thinking, well, in five, six years time, we may seriously live to regret that. And that's not a reflection on Trump. It's a reflection on trust. And you don't build trust in two more years or six more years of a Trump administration. You build it over a decade. And I think the same, exactly the same problem exists with the UK. Do you, I mean, does Russia and China begin to trust the UK? in a post-cabal world where, you know, we have different governance, I think it's going to take a long time. And, you know, relations are not going to be built that easily. And that's a big challenge that Trump faces. But I think the thing you have to credit with him the most is he knows the dollar's going to die. He knows what that means for the American nation. He's prepared to be a president at a time when that is almost certainly going to happen in, in his presidency, be it, I think, I'm not putting dates on things because you never know, but certainly if he's president till 2024, almost definitely it will have happened in that period and probably considerably sooner. He's prepared to take all that on, all the crap he has to deal with internally, all the abuse that his family get, and he's prepared to do that to make the ultimate sacrifice to make America a great nation again, but not to be run by the cabal who've wrecked and wreaked havoc across the world and and I hope in years to come, that's what Trump's remembered for, because he's making some big sacrifices in order for America to be great again, but the world to be rid of the insanity that has controlled it for, well, who knows how long. Paul, very well said. Paul, please share with our listeners your website, how they can learn more about your uh, terrific work at the Sears Report, please. Well, thanks. Thanks, CJ. Well, the, we've got obviously the seriousreport.com. That's S-I-R-I-U-S. There's a lot of free material. Yeah, we have the subscription service, which is things we don't discuss publicly. It's all it's all global things. It's geopolitics. It's finance. It's it's our understanding and how and things we don't discuss and things we know are reality. And anyone who has subscribed knows that our forecast rate is extremely good in in understanding events that are happening, events that are going to happen, and what small, innocuous little events actually mean in reality. And and obviously, you know, we thank everyone who has previously subscribed. We obviously have the Twitter page by the same name, and largely we don't really use Facebook anymore because it's really become an irrelevance. It doesn't serve any real purpose. So, and obviously, we you know we do the shows with Rogue Rogue News now, as it's called, and. It's always a pleasure to do it. I mean, it's very enjoyable, and uh, it was a pleasure to stand in for V today, and hopefully he's having lots of banana daiquiris and whatever else. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Paul, to a surprise for our listeners, I know you're going to be uh, helping me through V's vacation as well, so they'll get a real treat with uh, having you help me out a few days this week as well. So that'll be yes, terrific. Yes, yeah, yeah, whenever you want me to do the morning shows, you know, that's fine. We can pick a bunch of subjects. There's always plenty to discuss and, uh, and chew it over. But you know, look, I don't like to say the things I'm saying because it is hard, but it's reality. And I'll only ever deal with reality. If I'm speculating, I'll tell you I'm speculating, but I don't want people to be under illusion, the difficulties that we face in the foreseeable future. But at some point, all this will end. The world will completely rotate differently. And then, you know, the world will be this infinitely better place for everyone to live, but it's it's a long process. It's and it's going to be challenging for everyone, but that's reality. There's no point imagining that somehow 
you just remove the cabal and the world changes because the question is how does a nation like the us or the uk operate without them in charge who's going to run nations people say you don't need to but somebody has to there is a certain element within nations that has to be centrally run it doesn't mean it's it's like government not you know heavy government that's very onerous but we're still going to need that where are the people to do this it, there are a lot of challenges ahead and but you know let's i also want to inject reality into it and i know it's not what people always want to hear but at least i feel then we're being honest and true to what we're all trying to do and i'm not going to sugarcoat anything because to me i'm that in essence failing to do what we're here to do yeah i agree a thousand percent thank you everyone for listening in please make sure to visit roguenews.com Please make sure to subscribe there on our website, roguenews.com. Also, please make sure to like and also share this terrific interview with London Paul of the Series Report. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is CJ and London Paul, and we're over and out. Take care, everyone.